Is this like where we transition to gay sex? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I sure hope so. Hi, I'm Dahlia. I'm not your therapist, but I am a dating coach, a matchmaker, and your new best friend when your real best friend just doesn't want to listen to you anymore. So let's have it. Okay, let us get to our listener question for the week, which is... Hi, Dahlia. I started listening to your podcast on October 14th and finally caught up a couple weeks ago. It's wonderful. You're wonderful and you are doing great things. Thank you. Also, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. I feel I've put nearly all your advice into practice when it comes to dating. I've been out with a couple nutbags and some genuinely kind men. That sounds right. All while staying positive and trying to go into every date with a learning opportunity mindset. Amazing. I've been dating the same man exclusively for two months. Great. He's almost three years younger, 30 to my almost 33. We see each other about two times a week, text every day, but not all day long as we both have careers. He's even introduced me to one of his siblings. Recently, I felt like we're just friends who also have sex. He's smart, kind, and loves quality time, but he doesn't, won't, and or can't give me the physical contact I crave. I've mentioned to him repeatedly to please hold my hand, wrap his arm around me, initiate hugs, kisses, and he hasn't. I'm constantly the one to do it. Thankfully, he doesn't pull away from me, but I'm not a fan of this masculine role I'm having to play. I want to feel feminine, wanted, adored, and like I'm someone he's proud to stand next to. I feel silly even saying, do you know we've been together for three hours now and you haven't even kissed me? Or I'd love it if you could touch me more. On our third and fourth date, we did the 36 questions that lead to love. I learned his family was not physically or verbally affectionate. I asked if he said, I love you to his parents, siblings, grandparents. And he said, we're family and we all know we love each other. I asked if he hugged any members of his family. He said he sometimes hugged his mom if she wanted slash initiated it. I read the five love languages years ago. I remember reading you can teach someone to love you in your love language by loving, acting, communicating to them in your own. I know it's only been two months, but I feel like I'm begging him and he doesn't seem to try. How do I start a conversation that doesn't embarrass him, make him feel inadequate, or make him feel bullied? This is a great question. This is a tough one because... I've actually been in this situation myself. I was in a relationship where, and I'm a very affectionate person. I need a lot of physical touch and affection. And he wasn't really capable of doing that. And I felt like I was always initiating it. And while it was okay for a while, eventually it really wasn't okay because it felt like there was no intimacy in our relationship. Even if we would have sex, you know, once a week or so, which also was not enough for me, um, it felt like the intimacy and the bond was lacking. I really needed that affection. And it sounds honestly like you have done everything right so far. You're, you did the 36 questions. You understand his background. You know your love languages. You've tried to initiate. You have said great things like, I love it if you could touch me more, which is not accusatory. It's taking the responsibility on yourself. So at this point, I mean, it's been two months and I do generally say it takes three months and it might be that he just needs to relax. And if you can continue to communicate in your love language, which is touch, he may come around. But this does sound to me like a situation of you kind of have to weigh what's important to you. You say he's smart and kind. It sounds like there's a lot of good things here. But if this affection is something you really, really need, at this point, you kind of have to assume he's not going to change. When it has to do with someone's 
upbringing, it's very hard to bring about a change in them, especially because you have told him what you need. And I talk a lot about telling someone what you need. And I always say, you can't expect them to know. But once you tell them what you need, you can expect them to respond in kind and to at least make an effort to give you what you need. And you're saying that it doesn't seem like he wants to try. And he may think that he's trying. And I'm not a fan of ultimatums, but I think you have, you know, one more conversation where you say, and I'm sure you've already said this, but you do it again, where you say, my love language is physical touch. It's super important to me. As wonderful as I think you are, and I think you're wonderful, and I enjoy you so much, it doesn't feel like a romantic relationship to me if there isn't physical touch beyond when we have sex. And I don't want to be the one initiating it all the time. You could say, what could I do to make you feel more comfortable? Do you want me to tell you what kind of touch I like? Another thing I would say is the times he does touch you to really make sure you're positively reinforcing that behavior. Positive reinforcement really works wonders. So if someone does something right, you want to praise them for it. So even a small thing, you say, I really liked how you put your hand on my back at that party. That felt really nice. Or, you know, it makes me feel so good. And kind of tell him what he is doing right. Highlight the moments he's doing right. Beyond that, you kind of just have to tell him what you need and how important it is to you and say, I never want to have an ultimatum or a deal breaker, but this is something so important to me in a relationship that I'm not sure I'll be able to continue if this, if we can't figure out how to make this work for us. And I feel weird even saying that because again, like you don't want to force someone or threaten to leave, but you have to be honest and you have to say, this is really important to me in a relationship. This is a big part of what I enjoy about being in a relationship. This is how I understand love and affection and emotion is through touch. So I need this and I need to know if it's something you'd be willing to work on at least. Like it doesn't have to be a change overnight, but can we do little things? I understand it's not a part of your upbringing, so you aren't as comfortable with it, but are there little things we could change to make you more comfortable with it? And it might for a little bit be about metaphorically as well as physically holding his hand and continuing to initiate. But at a certain point, you're going to have to decide If I assume that this is never going to change and my role is always going to be to initiate physical touch, is that a relationship that I can be happy in? And you have to be honest with yourself with that answer. If not, this is a good time to get out because you're not quite at the three-month mark. And the three-month mark is a good place to get out as well. But you want to get out before it's been like two, three years of you struggling and trying. And you're just going to end up feeling rejected and feeling unattractive and thinking there's something wrong with you and taking the problem on yourself and begging, and you don't want to do that. So I say have one more really honest conversation. It doesn't sound like you're at risk of making him feel bullied or attacked, but stay focused on what you need and why you need it, and ask him if it's something he sees himself being able to learn and what you can do to help him and positively reinforce what he does do. And then if you don't see a change happening, As much as great stuff is there, if this is really important to you, you will have to have the strength to say, this is too important to me. I deserve to have everything I need and I'm going to move on to someone who can give it to me. So I know that's not like the best or easiest answer, but basically be honest with him and then be honest with yourself. And I wish you luck and I would love to hear how this conversation goes and how it develops. 
Hello, welcome. I am so excited about my guest today who I have here. This is an unusual episode because usually, you know, I bring on people who need help, people who need coaching. I want to start bringing on more experts and people with success stories and experience and things like that. Today, I have with me not only a good friend, but also my wedding planner. Yes! Jason Mitchell Kahn, my amazing wedding planner. He has written a book about gay weddings. What's the book called? Getting Groomed. Getting Groomed about gay weddings. He is like the premier wedding planner. He's like won all these awards on the nut. And just like every day, I feel like you're winning a different award for being the world's best wedding planner. Well, I'll come here every day with this kind of introduction. (laughs) It's true. And I vote to give you the same award just based on the experience I've had thus far. We're having a wonderful time. Jason is extremely patient. I tend to be a little indecisive about things. I feel like weddings bring up a lot of like, what do I really value in life kind of moments? And there's nothing like that moment to throw me into a tailspin. They are, I find, um, they're a great exercise for a couple that's about to enter into a marriage because it really does test you as you as you are forced to make decisions about budget and venues and flowers and all the details that go into it you have to do it together right and it truly because it's so rare that someone has an unlimited budget or anything like that it really pushes you to identify what it is that's important to you what's not important to you and it's a great exercise in the lesson of compromising totally i remember before i got engaged before this whole process started I was like, I don't understand why people do these big weddings. It's so stupid. La, 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 la. And like, I was always like, why does an engagement have to be a year long? Why do you have to plan for this? And now I totally understand that it actually is a really important time for the couple. And I think also a reason I've had a few people maybe just one person on here, but a few clients who have called off engagements, um, that it's actually a really important, not limbo, but kind of like gray area year between like, we're just dating and like, we're totally married. And it's like this interesting problem solving year, whatever you decide to do for the wedding, whether you agree to elope or whatever, I think it does. I think it can be like really revealing for a couple. And also like, if it goes well, it really prepares you for those even bigger decisions and problematic moments in the future. Absolutely. And it should be a fun experience for a couple to go through. And the ones that do the best are are the ones that keep that in mind. And really, yeah. I mean, there's, of course, going to be stressful moments, but it's it's the beginning of a collaboration as a couple. Yeah. And so it's an exciting, it's like a project. That right. You it's to, like producing a show together. Yeah. It's like, how do we want our show to look I think a lot of people, when, when we first got engaged, were like, oh, you guys are going to fight. Like, just be prepared. And we're not a couple that fights. Like, we just don't. Mostly because whenever I try, Matt simply will not engage. And he'll be like, we're not doing this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I want to. Um, I have found, speaking specifically about you, yeah. um, that Matt is, he's more in it than I thought he was going oh, to be. Oh, yeah. He's you very know, in it. He definitely responds to all the emails and puts his two cents in, which is great. It's less common. You know, I, I have a nice, diverse clientele as far as doing a lot of same-sex couples mm-hmm. and a lot of opposite-sex couples. And with the latter, I find that I'm usually dealing more directly with the bride and the groom is sort of, you know, 
Every now and then you get an opinion, but yeah. Matt, Matt's really, he, he's, he's in it. Yeah. I'm surprised. It's great. I'm a little surprised. <laughs> You're like, I this is of, not what I signed up for. <laughs> I mean, it's actually because I was never a person that thought about my wedding. Like I never, especially because I got married and divorced at like 22. I was like, well, that's it for me. Probably next time it'll just be, you know, an elopement and a courthouse or it'll never happen again. Either way, I'm fine. I was never a person that could like picture what that would look like. So I'm actually grateful that he's like better at making decisions than I am. And he's better at being like, this isn't a big deal because I'll get stressed out real quick. And he's the one that's kind of like, this is supposed to be fun. Like we don't have to stress out. And he kind of like takes me back to earth and is like, this is about our families coming and seeing this happen. And I almost every other day will be like, are you sure we don't want to elope? (laughs) (laughs) But I think now that we have made a couple or we're about to make our second deposit on a thing, that to me is going to be the point of no return. Yeah, I mean, wedding planning, I think, like so many other things, is challenging in the sense that we live in this world where, like, our senses are sort of always, um, in a good way, overwhelmed with abundance. Mm -hmm. Like, you look on, even if you're just scrolling on Instagram, like, food pics, and you say, you know, you want that, it's just, we're tempted to want the best of of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, there truly can be no limit to what you could spend on the wedding. Yeah. And so it's so often about reeling in, well, yes, I mean, that 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 taller centerpiece might look more dramatic in the photo or, um, you know, wh- whatever it is. But ultimately, a successful wedding is about how you make your, your guests feel. Yeah. And that's often achieved not by spending money. How How is it achieved? <laughs> While we're here, I promise <laughs> we're going to get to more relationship-y, advice-y, coach-y stuff, but uh, for my own selfish purposes. Well, you know, for one, sometimes with couples, what I'm hired most to do is to plan the reception part of it, mm-hmm. you know, which is everything from the food and the band and the lighting and things that are very, very important. But it should never be um, without utmost consideration what happens in the ceremony. Because that is what sets the tone of what then you celebrate. Mm -hmm. And a ceremony should be reflective of the couple. Um, And I find that they're most successful when for your guests, they create an emotional experience. And not from doing it in a forced way, Mm -hmm. but one that really makes people think, you know, uh, have laughter, have tears, go inside a little bit, remember what marriage is all about, yeah, and then celebrate the couple that you're witnessing entering into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that's done in a way that is reflective of the couple, it's easy to celebrate. You know, you, you've gotten everyone sort of emotionally there. And then throughout the reception, part of how you continue to do that is in a lot of the little details and showing that you really thought through it and that you cared. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think... It's it's so rare that someone will tell me the thing I remember most about that wedding is how good the food was. It's, yeah. it's never that. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's about the people you were with, the conversation you had, the the speech you heard that made you laugh, or you know, mm-hmm. the sense of humor that was on this sign in the bathroom. Like things like that are usually what people remember so much more. And um, I try to remind people of that as they come to me, being like, "Well, we can't afford everything that mm-hmm. we wanted." Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because I think originally we were like, we can do everything. We're going to have the most fun and be the most creative. And then when we started freaking out about the budget, it was like, okay, but what do we need? And what can we, like you said, create a feeling about without having to like buy 
all this other stuff or throw money at it or whatever it is. I think a perfect example is when you do assigned seating Mm -hmm. and you have the decision to either number your tables or name your tables. Oh. And it, I mean, I'm a very diplomatic wedding planner. I don't Uh believe there's a right way to do anything. It's about what's identifying what's right for a couple. But if you name your tables and it then creates a conversation amongst the people that are sitting at that table for whatever reason, you've already begun the icebreaker. I love that. Versus if you're just sitting at table three, there's no meaning to that. And um, I really like when couples have a sense of humor and it doesn't have to be super cohesive. It doesn't have to be themed like it's like a bar about mitzvah. Um, It can just be things, sayings, people that mean something to the couple. And it's really fun watching the guests figure out what it is. you know, the, the, why they're at a table that's named that. I mean, I had a straight couple that recently thought about naming their tables after contestants from Drag Race that didn't make it to the finale because oh they God. just thought it was super fun. <laughs> I love that. I wish we could steal that. <laughs> we could actually, we, we watch so much trash reality, we could easily poach that from one of the many. Married at First Sight, um, 90 Day Fiance, Love Island, Temptation Island, any of that. We could just name them all those things. I also just think it's a wonderful <laughs> juxtaposition to the idea of what feels very formal, which is f- assigned seating. Mm-hmm. And that it's it's not that you're lacking the organization to still figure out the best 10 people per table if that's how they're broken down or whatever. Yeah. But um, it, it allows your guests to have a sense of humor with the night too. I love they're it. Like, oh, I'm at Bob the Drag Queen. Yes. <laughs> Love Although he, he was a winner, so yeah, that so, was that didn't fit anyways. in that category. But, but it was I the actually, first one that came to mind. I want to Banji, I guess. Banji <laughs> would be a great one. Yeah. I would want to sit at Banji. She's best. Matt does a great Banji impression, you should ask. Oh, <laughs> next time we have our meeting. <laughs> maybe for our cake tasting. Um, but to tie this to dating, because that's what I do. Um, it's interesting because it immediately made me think of, you know, in, and this is probably a very obvious comparison, but in this day and age, especially with Instagram and Pinterest and all this barrage of images of how you could look or what you could do better or how you could cleanse or whatever it is, people, I find at least, I mean, I have a few clients like this, but I also see it out in the world, people who are not... Um, necessarily finding the success they want to find with dating and they'll say well I need to pay for this enhancement this Botox this and this is no judgment on doing those things but I'm just putting it out there as an idea you know I need to buy this outfit I need to own these things men too who are like I need to reach this level of success and achievement financially or I need it and people get the idea that Whatever it is they want to create in terms of a relationship will be created the more money or external stuff they throw at it. You know what I mean? And I think like a wedding, it's really about bringing your personality to it and having a sense of humor about your experience of dating and like focusing on how can I, because I I sometimes feel like when people are trying to achieve this ideal of like, um, not shallow, but this external physical ideal they're not paying as much attention to like enriching their minds and like having a personality and they're kind of like forgetting those aspects of things and they'll put out on social media filtered selfies and things like that to just be like look at me look at me and it's like what actually draws someone to you what actually makes an experience memorable is the personality and the substance of it and like the attention to detail like you're saying so I think you know people 
sometimes I'll have clients push back at me that they're they're not ready to date right now because they don't feel good about their bodies at the moment or they don't they want to get their skin together or what like I actually have these conversations I mean I I I think that is a little unrealistic just because I think if you feel that way currently you're sort of always going to feel that way I mean can't we always have a better body and you know except for you Jason you're never good (laughs) oh you're too good (laughs) I saw those pictures of you your friend's birthday I was like damn okay well she's single and ready to mingle so it's priority (laughs) these days um Plus, I, I truly do find that um, working out regularly is what gives me the most energy to get through, like, this Everything. very busy life. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I it's like the, the hour to, to turn off emails and whatnot and, mm-hmm. and you know, put my, my efforts somewhere else. But, um, I, you know, personally, I, I, I'm a very modern person, but one thing that has been very challenging for me in, in the past several years is you know, there's a great convenience that comes to our world and social media. And it's really, it is really great for business and mm-hmm. things like that. But it has also not only social media, but also some of the apps for dating and whatnot, I think have really um, diminished the art form of conversation. And I crave personal, communi- you know, in-person yeah. conversation with people. Um, much more so than I, I find that I have the ability to have endless chat online. Mm. And so I would, you know, if there's someone I mean, remotely interested, I always just want to say, well, let's just go for a drink or something. And if we decide we're not clicking, then we can just decide that. Um, and, or maybe we decide that we just want to be friends and we're not compatible, you know, to date or maybe more, but I'd rather learn that by being around you and sensing your energy and actually having real conversation. I'm kind of getting there in a roundabout way, but to to further, you know, to go back to your point about having the best of everything, it's like, it doesn't matter where that drink is had. Right. We can go, you know, to, um, you know, to the Ivy or somewhere really posh, or we can go to a dive place or just some, you know, a, a sort of quiet wine bar. I mean, it's really about the conversation. Right. And so it's never about the the best. Yeah. It's about the intention behind it and like you being fully present. So Correct. if you're going to go have a date at the Ivy or if I'm going to have my wedding at the most expensive place in Los Angeles, which I am not, um, I'm going to be spending the whole time like, are people looking at me? Do I need to post about this on Instagram a few more times? Like it's this whole almost... I think it's almost a detriment when you're really, really focused on those things. It doesn't allow you to be focused on the inside. And I also think what you're saying is true about like now we communicate so much in images and we're so stimulated by images that we really have gotten away from just like direct person to person verbal communication. Totally. And, and, and for the most part, I mean, gone are the days when, when a platform like Instagram is an honest snapshot into someone's, you know, life. I mean, it is so highly curated and it's much more aspirational. And I yeah. think the delusion is that people actually think people really look like that or it didn't take a hundred attempts to get that selfie oh, perfect yeah. or they didn't then go filter it through another app or change. I mean, so I, it, it's it's not realistic of how mm-hmm. we live our life. I remember the other day, my therapist, I was like talking about a career dilemma I'm having, I'm struggling, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, why don't you share this on your social media and like let people know you know, what's, what's really going on. And I was like, absolutely not. That's not what social media is for. And I tell that even to my clients, I have a client who now, thanks to this one piece of advice is in his first relationship. Um, he thought that social media was for kind of 
airing your true feelings and like venting about what you're really going through and sharing your loneliness. And I was like, honey, that's not what social media is for. Social media is for like networking, making yourself look good and like sharing good news. Like I, I agree. I mean, it's such a turnoff for me if like the moment I've sort of started to chat with someone, if I check out their social media platforms and they post too earnestly, yeah, I'm well, just like, no, well. this is not where we do that. No, it's just not. I'm like, that's for your therapist, your close friends, your family, totally. your journal, your maybe Barry's boot camp instructor. <laughs> but it is not for the world. And as soon as I told him this client to go back through and delete every single one of those posts and to never post like that again, and to only share something if it was positive, guess what? He has a boyfriend now, so like... Yeah. I also, I've always felt that, I mean, to each their own. I mean, if some if someone actually feels like it's therapeutic to sort of brain dump that stuff on social media, I mean, I'm not really one to tell them not to. It's just not what sure, I do. Sure, you're just too neutral. I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But... Um, uh, it for me, it always just reads as very desperate or like thirsty for attention rather yeah. than actually. It's not real vulnerability no. because if it was, you wouldn't be sharing it with your two thousand Facebook friends. It is so much harder to tell your best friend mm. what you're actually struggling with in person in conversation than it is to put it out on social media for the random people that you're connected to. Absolutely. That's very, very, very true. There is something much safer about just hitting like post with a screen in front of you than sitting down one-on-one -on -one with a person to really talk to them. Or like if you're upset about something a person did, you know, some people will go on and like vent about that person without naming names. It's like just be mature and have a conversation. And I'm not saying, by the way, that that client got into a relationship because he started all this fake positivity, but he just stopped using this like kind of attention getting way of like getting his negative feelings out. He realized where the right place and 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 I told him like the place to be vulnerable like that is with your new relationship, is with your new partner. They want to know that you can be vulnerable and they can be vulnerable back. I agree. And and I I by nature I'm very happy and sort of positive you person. But um I also feel like the other side of that is that I don't necessarily need people to post things that are super inspirational no. unless, <laughs> unless that is their field. Like if you're a life coach, sure, or, you know, sure, then, sure. then it's sort of warranted. Yeah, I post a lot about people should be making out more, but that's pretty much where I Well, now we're it. really talking the same language. <laughs> that's about my only inspirational yeah. quote. I'm like, get out there and stick your tongue well, in It's kind of like stay in your lane a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and, and your lane doesn't have to be you know, so specific to just your career or anything like that. But it's like, it it's what you bring to life. I think, you know, it. I feel like it should be an extension of what you would be having as part of a conversation anyway with your friends and your family. Yes. Why are you all of a sudden telling me to do right. something when that's like not really... No. I say keep it for your business and the occasional food pick. Yes. Because I'll, I'll, I'll well, like that. And pet pick. And pet pick. Pet and food. True, I mean, true, sometimes true. like I, if I have follow too much news of the day and feeling like really mm. down the only thing that gets me out of that is just some mindless scrolling of like really cute dogs or something. i mean but doesn't even that even that gives me like a weird pet fomo because i don't have a pet but i'm like i want that dog <laughs> why don't i have a cute dog like i just think it's so and i guess you're probably more secure in your pet status than i well, am because you a, have I, a I wonderful a pet dog. yes i just feel like it's such a like if it's like if you want to go feel like you're not enough and you don't have enough and you should go get those eyelash extensions, go on Instagram. But like if you want to be better at relationships and dating, 
go read a book like or call up a good friend and have like a long conversation about how you're really feeling or hop on the apps and get yourself a date that's my advice (laughs) speaking of yes we were going to talk about dating so sure first thing i'll ask you is as a wedding planner you're someone who has been witness to i assume all different types of relationships what would you say, like, what are some, th- first of all, have you ever seen, have you ever been there for like a wedding to get called off? Does that, has that happened to you? Uh, I mean, I, I have had clients that midway through planning have decided to call it off, um, which is ultimately, while it's the end of a job for me, um, it's really, I think, a very mature thing to realize and much better to do it before you've gone through the process of having the wedding and, and getting married. I would agree with that. Um but, and I know of clients that I have worked for that are no longer still together. Um, but you you do see every range of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it is what keeps the job so interesting mm-hmm. because all couples are really different and I'm endlessly fascinated by relationships. Yeah. Uh, and so it's fairly exciting that even besides from all the, the party planning and that I, 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 it's like having a microscope up close because you're working with people at this really heightened time that they've decided they want to get married. And so, um, you know, I'm injected into their life during that phase. But what I've also learned is that there are certain couples that I see it 100% from the moment I meet them till the wedding day where I'm like, they are so in love and it is so meant to be. And I almost get chills when I'm around them because it's so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of other couples that I don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. But through working with them and getting to know them a little bit better. I mean, not all couples are that demonstrably affectionate or just they're more private about it. And I don't, you know, that's just people are different. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're any less suited to be in a marriage. And I think the other reason is that a marriage is what two people make of it. And people have different expectations of what they want from it. The ones that are super successful are when that has sort of been talked about before they've entered into it. Definitely. definitely. (laughs) It's amazing to me what couples don't talk about like I was listening I'm probably not a great idea but I've been listening to this wedding podcast where they just like tackle all these different topics and it's kind of interesting it's like not really of my world of weddings but I find it interesting and they talk to a um, couples therapist who does like a seven-week boot camp for couples before they're getting married where they kind of address all these topics and I was like oh what's this gonna be like I'm gonna go talk to Matt about this and it was like like Some of the things were helpful, like have you talked about how sex was addressed in your family, how you learned about sex, or kind of though, or like how was money talked about in your family? But then other things were just like, have you talked about your future? Like, have you talked about if you both want kids? Have you talked about what you want to do with your money or what your finances are going to be once you get married or, you know, how much you want to have sex or things like that that I'm just like, wow, I can't believe that's still something that needs to be taught yes. to talk about before yes. you get married. Well, I think some people are um, ill-equipped or or it's not their natural tendency to talk about that kind of stuff. Mm, I talk it's, about everything. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and I certainly came from a family where for the most part we did too. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never really like had a lot of secrets or anything like that. But, you know, I know in, in my last relationship, which I know we're eventually going to get into, yes. um, we were certainly people that 
we loved each other, but we avoided confrontation. Mm -hmm. And so anytime it was a subject that we both knew was going to be challenging or potentially not end well, we often, you know, sought to avoid it rather than confront it. And that's something that I've learned is not a recipe for success in a relationship. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, on the flip side, being the planner, yes, you know, please. being the third person yes, in the room often. Yes. And, um, and like I said, I mean, I, the, you know, I, being someone's wedding planner is, I think, a term that is really defined very differently by each couple. And, mm -hmm. you know, some really just want me to help plan a party and pick vendors and things like that. And others, it's truly like becoming a relationship therapist for the really? time that we work together. And some people feel so comfortable with me telling me so many things. Um, so they'll come to you and be like, my husband is doing this, future husband is doing this, this, and this, and I don't know what to do? Correct. Wow. Or also, I don't know how to handle this because I know that this makes them uncomfortable, but I really want this, and I'm not sure how oh, to have wow. this conversation. Good to know, Jason. <laughs> yes, I'm available for it all. You know, and, and it's so helpful for me to, to know people's family dynamics because that sure. often, you know, plays, plays a really big part in it. Um, I do see the couples that really communicate well about through you know the challenges of planning a wedding what that brings out some like really handle it well and some don't at all i mean i have i have been at tables where people have thrown drinks at each other and walked out screaming it at one another and it's it, it it's so odd to me because that's like not something i would ever do while i'm in a relationship with somebody um but people are like that yeah. And like the people in the couple threw drinks at yes. each other? Like at their wedding? Or like no, no, when no, you no, guys no, no, were no. doing a like planning. a food it's, tasting? It's a, yeah. It's, 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 oh it's my gosh. almost always about um, making a decision, usually related to money, and someone feeling some sense of insecurity that like, if we do that, what are my friends going to think or what are my family going to think? Mm -hmm. And if they're not in alignment about that, things start to really spark. I've seen conversations along the lines of like, how could you think that looks good? How could you think we're going to do that for, you know, in front of our, our friends and family? Mm -hmm. And it's like making the other person feel so little. Yeah. But it's really out of insecurity of the person that is causing that argument. Um, and I've really seen it escalate. And then to my amazement, it's like the next day they'll apologize to me. Sorry, we were just having a stressed out moment. We went home, we talked, we made up, we're on the same page. And so I have learned that a lot of relationships seem to operate from that sort of heightened place of fighting. Boy, I mean, I've stressful. It is. Just, I mean, I, I've, I've sat there where I've heard, you know, fiancé say to one, one another in front of me, you're really embarrassing me right now. And I feel very uncomfortable because of course. It's, it, I think it's a very rude thing to say. Yeah. But some people, that's just like how they talk with one another. Right. I just got off a call with a client who went through a pretty bad breakup where they hadn't even really been dating very long, but already like the way uh, they were talking to each other and relating. And he was kind of negotiating himself around it. And I was like, how come it didn't occur to you sooner that this is not the way people talk to each other? You know, and I think for some people, they do just they come from either a high conflict household, childhood, and they're just used to that. I know that I've been in one relationship I can think of it uh in particular that we're very high conflict, a lot of fighting. And it's like, if you're used to that from when you grew up, you're like, oh yeah, this is familiar to me. This is what love is, is us just kind of being horrible to each other. The highs are high, the low, lows are very low. And you just kind of don't think it could be any other way. And some people even think if it is another way, like the first probably six months with Matt, I was like, 
Why aren't we fighting? Like, there should be, does that mean we don't care? Are we not passionate? Is it not really love because we're not fighting? And I just kind of had to learn that, like, actually, that's healthy and adult to treat each other with respect and not get into, like, name-calling, screaming battles. Yeah, it took me a very long time to ever understand my parents' marriage. They're mm-hmm. very happily married, and I think one of the... Where the, are you from? Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in South Florida. Oh. The Jewish suburbs. Oh, my gosh. Sort of between Fort Lauderdale and Cute. Boca Raton. Yeah. No wonder you look so good with a tan. Oh, thank it's you. natural. Um, they really had similar expectations mm-hmm. for a marriage. Mm. And for that reason, are very well suited to each other. They're very independent. They love each other, but they, they're not inseparable. They have a lot of different interests and they have outside social lives and social circles as well as their, their um, communal one. Um, but they were always on the same page as far as how they wanted to live in a marriage and then be parents. Um, but Part of, I mean, they, they bicker a bit, mm-hmm. but I I never saw them ever have a, a real fight. Big fight, yeah. yeah. They would, you know, it's like little things that kind of get on each other's skin, which I think just the nature of like sharing a space with anybody of is, course. you know, I mean, the way you would with a roommate or, or anything like that. Um, but it took me a very long time to totally see it in them and, and get that not all marriages have to be lovey-dovey people that wish they could spend every night together and Mm -hmm. you know I mean my when I was growing up in particular um my mom worked a lot of nights and my dad worked during the day and I think that was actually the best thing for their relationship sounds great you know yeah Yeah. and they they were never insecure about it they wanted their independence yeah and so we would usually get home from school my mom would kind of you know spend that time with us and then we would always have dinner together and then my mom would go to work um and it was great for them yeah I think that's Super healthy. I mean, I know I've referenced this on here before, but I'll do it again. But the most recent Chris Rock comedy special wasn't particularly good, but he had a great moment where he's talking about the whole like texting cell phone culture. And he's like, my parents were together for 50 years. Why? Because my dad went to work and did not have my mom in his pocket all day. Like they did, they had space. They didn't see each other. So when they saw each other, they had something to talk about. They missed each other. They hadn't been checking in the whole time. And I thought that was really powerful because I think now, especially because we can communicate all the time, we think that we should and we think we should share. I think there was some study that showed couples who have separate interests and separate friend groups do much better than couples who share everything. They kind of like, I think, studied a lot of Facebook situations, relationships, and saw that most couples, and that's not to say you can't be obsessed with your partner and want to spend a ton of time with them, but I think it's very, very healthy to have independent interests and lives. I agree. I also think it um, relates beyond romantic relationships into friendships. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, as... um, you know, I, I sometimes still get nostalgic of the old days when, like, the need to go to brunch and talk about mm-hmm. what happened for the week was so uh, pressing because we didn't follow each other's lives on social media or text each other all day long. Right. They were, like, legitimately like, oh, I don't know what happened to you the past seven days. Yeah. And now it's just very different. I mean, we have, we, it's like we're following everyone's lives so closely. That we feel like we saw them. That I'm like, I don't need to catch up with you. I know exactly what you did. Yeah. It's like, but you don't. And some, I mean, I've had certain friends because I, I Instagram for business. And so I'm often telling what's going on in my life because that's sort of part of the brand that I'm building as a wedding planner. But then certain friends that, you know, are not hired 
or haven't hired me to plan their wedding, will be mm-hmm. like, well, I see everything you do on Instagram. I was like, but that doesn't mean that we're spending this right. time together or that I haven't had a chance to tell you about it. Right, exactly. You're like, that's my wedding planner life. That's not my like everything else Jason does life. Correct. Which I would like to hear about. Um, well, I try to keep it on brand as a professional. Yeah, of course, exactly. Cr- but know. that's kind of, that's what I'm saying about social media. It's like, yeah, all of my posts are about dating coaching and uh, or it's like me and Matt. But it's like there's much more to my life that I'm not sharing. I just don't think social media is true intimacy. So why would I treat it that way? Correct. Would you say there is something that you can tell when a couple isn't going to either make it to the wedding or the wedding is the marriage is not going to last? Can you pinpoint like a common trait or something like that or is it kind of random well i think it's usually lack of communication Mm -hmm. i think it's perfectly normal to want different things but if you can't communicate through that and reach some sort of landing place i think it's going to be challenging yeah i think a wedding is just a small microcosm of what the future of a marriage will bring that's probably true i mean weddings are very in some ways easy because it's like a specific date an experience and you have some form of expectation of, of what it's going to be, but it ultimately lasts one night. Yeah. I think it's much harder to plan for like living in the day in and day out of just being with somebody Yeah, on the dates that are without hair and makeup and yeah. elevated food service and open and everyone bar. paying attention to you. Yeah. I've heard a lot about uh, like wedding blues after. Blues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of like, because it's like you plan and you plan, you plan and this is why also people have warned me, like my mom has warned me, like make sure not every conversation with Matt is about the wedding because like it's great advice. You don't it's it's one day of your life. It's gonna be over and we still have to maintain the interesting things in our relationship besides that. I also you know, I have mixed feelings about the benefit of honeymooning right after the wedding. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, I I do think like it is great to after all the inevitable excitement and you know, some amount of stress that goes into a wedding to just be like, and now we're flying away to kind of forget about all of that. But then I think, you know, if you work on having this great wedding and then you go to, I don't know, like Thailand for Mm -hmm. two weeks together, you have this amazing vacation and then you have to come back and go to your real life and like go back to work the next day. (laughs) It's really, I mean, that is like, strong point. that's like almost three weeks of, of being taken out of something to come down from versus having a wedding. I don't, I wouldn't advise going back to work the day after the wedding, but maybe taking a couple of days off just to, you know, have a, a staycation or something like that and have a trip to look forward to yeah. later in the year or the next year or something like that just helps spread out the goods a bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot to think Depends about Depends on there. how much people have in their travel budgets. <laughs> I mean, I would love to travel all the time. We should just do a trip every time. Yeah. And that would be great. I mean, I remember not to sound too like crazy... Um, privileged and unaware but when we got back from Italy we went to Italy for like two weeks I like went into a serious depression of having to live back in the real world and work (laughs) don't feel bad for me um but it was real and I can imagine that that happens after a year of like planning this most amazing day of your life and your whole life has been leading up to this and this is everything you wanted and you have to make everything perfect and put on this huge production and then maybe go on an amazing fantasy romantic trip and then you come back and you're like you still didn't take out the trash? Like, what is life, you know? So I think that's good advice, too, to kind of keep you grounded in the day-to-day and remember that the wedding is just 
a day and it's not the meaning it's a of day, everything. And it's a special day and it mm-hmm. should be. I mean, it's an elevated version of, of, of your life, but it should still be reflective of who you are. Yeah. And like you just said, it is just one day yeah. and, it, and it does go away. I mean, that's what's, I think most people's, the most common response I hear from people is that they just can't believe how fast that day goes. Yeah. And it's after you've put anywhere from, I mean, I've worked on all different timelines, but with some couples, almost two years of planning all built to this one day that is really the event is six hours. I mean, you add time before that for mm-hmm. photos and getting ready and whatnot, but the actual event is typically six hours. Yeah. Um, so a lot of work goes into building into that and then it, it just sort of finishes and comes down very quickly. So how would you say a couple could, their early dating, how could they set themselves up for success long-term having seen where people are at when they come to you which is often they've been in long-term relationships they already have a lot of their habits kind of ingrained what do you think both from like your own dating experience and so what you're talking you've about seen? early on in dating before they're necessarily engaged yeah like early early on how do you set up yourself for a healthy relationship healthy communication dynamic well i think you have to really approach it from a place of security in yourself mm. and um th- there is no point in i think in really hiding things about yourself to the person that you're beginning to have feelings for because you need them to love you for who you are and to fall that. in love with you for everything that you are flaws and all and i think people are more successful and they can identify their own flaws and not say that i'm perfect and i'm going to fix them all but like this is me i like alone time on a sunday morning it's really hard for me to think that i'm going to give up that time you know, maybe you can work on it, but just addressing what it is a, a, about them that um, that are things that they know that could potentially be um, either uh, off-putting to somebody else. But we all have, I, th- I think we have to be comfortable in our own skin to really succeed in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And sort of going back to what you were saying earlier about some clients of like, well, I'm not ready because I'm not comfortable enough with my body or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, real relationships are rebound from that mm-hmm. you know i mean it is unrealistic to marry someone or not even just marry date someone and think that their body is always going to stay the same or that we don't fluctuate as people or emotionally we're going to stay the same right um we never know what curveballs life is going to throw us be it career stuff or family stuff or, or anything or political stuff that's very <laughs> stressful very stressful um and so we we all as human beings have to be um, okay with that. Yeah. And if you're going to be on a journey with someone and not be on it alone, um, I think you have to be in a good place to, to go on that with them and, and vice versa. I think that's great advice. Also, just in terms of if you're pretending to be this person you're not, you're going to have to like maintain that for a really long time. And... Ultimately, then let's say you're pretending something about yourself that happens to attract another person, then they're attracted to someone other than you and you attracted the wrong person for yourself. So eventually it's going to come out that you're actually wrong for each other, but you were both playing these roles. Correct. And, and you know, that being said, I don't think you have to like show all your cards in the no, first no, date. No, no, I no, mean, no. I, Leave something to the imagination. Yeah, you want room to grow with yeah. somebody. But like, I actually think... Uh, kind of good and funny sign for me and Matt in this wedding process was like the first thing we both agreed on 
was when we got engaged was we need a wedding planner. And I was like, I could easily, because I work from home. So I was like, I could be like, I got it. I can do it. I'm going to Pinterest the shit out of this thing. Like, I'm going to do it. But I know myself and I'm honest with Matt. And while I could have saved us money or whatever, ultimately, I feel like so, so, so worth the investment because we know ourselves. We know ourselves as a couple. We know what we're capable of. And I think we knew what would ultimately make us fight a lot. And we're not a fighting couple. But if I was like overloaded and stressed and trying to be this perfect person that I'm not, who could like completely DIY my own wedding, kudos to everyone who can do that. I cannot. You know, I'd be pretending for the sake of impressing Matt and it would ultimately make us insane. I mean, yes, I think a wedding planner in that process is like a moderator, which is very good, which is why, you know, even just not as a couple, but just sometimes as individuals, I think therapy is so good Mm -hmm. because you need to hear it from a professional rather than just a best friend or a sibling or a parent. I mean, there's just something about an expert talking to you who's not invested in line, you know, to butter it up or, you know, just to really be truthful about what the process. So a wedding planner can be that way. Um, I also think that like in the process of, of planning a wedding, it's okay that one person might be more involved or invested or frankly put more time into it. But that person can then not resent the other one for being who they are. Right, exactly. I've had lots of times where they're like, oh my God, they have no idea that I've spent 10 hours on Pinterest trying to find this. I'm like, well, but they didn't ask you to do that. They didn't. They were probably fine with you not doing that. Right. They would have been like, whatever flowers look good or whatever it is that you spent the 10 hours. And you you both have to be okay with that dynamic. Right. And you both have to know yourselves and know the other person and not expect them to change now in this process, you know? Um, let's talk a little bit about you. Is this like where we transition to gay sex? Yes. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> um, you, as a wedding planner, but also as a human, um, you are divorced and... Happily. <laughs> happily. When I, you were married before you were a wedding planner, right? Well, it was... Yeah, I mean, I was starting, it was beginning around the same time. Okay. So um, my career was sort of coupled with getting engaged and planning my own wedding. Oh, interesting. I, I had been an event planner. I was planning lots of different types of events, including some small weddings. Mm. And I was really loving weddings. And then I got engaged. And so it sort of just took off from there. Can you tell me a little bit about like how you met, how long you dated, like a little little about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, you know, I, I was someone who got in, to events via hospitality first in restaurants um, because I was always a writer and initially moved to New York to write for theater. And um, my ex-husband was in a reading of a play that I wrote. Oh, so he was an actor. He was an actor. Okay. And um, and I knew there was something incredibly special about him from the very first day he walked in, in the room to, to meet to read this part. And what I always loved about our eventual relationship was that we we didn't date right away i mean we just sort of knew each other for a couple years Mm -hmm. and um there was something about timing to all of it and when we were ready to date we did we fell in love very quickly Mm -hmm. but um we dated for over two years and then we got engaged and we had a year being engaged and 
<laughs> one night dates if you'll Now why do you think that is? Because I hear that a lot too where people are like, I've never had a long-term relationship. I don't think that I can. Like I'm not, that's not going to happen for me. And I'm like, yes, it is. You just have to go through a lot of non-starters first. Yeah, I, th- well, I, I think that's a two-part answer. I mean, I mm-hmm. think in my 20s, I was always sort of holding out for some really something different that wasn't what I was that I wasn't finding in the people that I was meeting Mm -hmm. I had this idea uh that I was truly just gonna meet somebody that was gonna like you know what's it knock my socks off or sweep you off your feet sweep me off my feet it was gonna be magical rom-com and be magical rom-com and also just be you know, like a great person to bring to the family and be really inspiring about their career. Oh, and gosh. just like, I mean, I was really just wanting all these things of in course. one person. Yeah, and the laundry list. Yes. And what what I eventually learned is that what was happening is I was finding all that in my friends. Mm. And I think I made the mistake of trying to think that one person was going to enter and do everything that my friends were doing, but also be someone that I would be romantic with. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, I'm a cancer. I'm a nurturing type of person. Mm-hmm. I, living with someone was was very natural. I was very happy to do it. Um, but now, having gotten divorced and gone back to, to living alone, I mean, there is a part of my life now that I have sort of reclaimed and refound, and I actually like being alone quite mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that whenever I'm in my next serious relationship, I'll be a lot more cognizant of that yeah. and valuing alone time and separate time and... Um, you know, I'm very, I, I work with, I mean, I'm a people person. I'm around people all the time. Um, that there's some, there's a joy in going home and being alone and finally just turning it off and having to talk to people and explain my day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like I'll, I always say, I mean, my dog Barnaby is who truly got me through divorce. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, we had only had him a few months um, until we started splitting up and eventually, you know, breaking up permanently. And I had never had a dog before not only is he very special, but you know, a dog doesn't know what kind of day you had. They are just so excited to see you when you come in the door <laughs> and they don't care what you look like. They don't care if you cried three times that day, if you didn't finish your work, you know I mean? And there's just such a joy in that there's, I think Kathleen Turner said it once that she loved going home alone because you close the door and like nobody sees what goes on anymore. Yeah. And there was a part of that because I, I'm someone who is very used to presenting um, an authentic version of myself, but that person is relatively put together. Of and course, grounded you have to be happy. on, definitely. Yes. And Especially I, as like the rock for all these relationships. Yeah. yeah. And so that time period of my relationship coming undone and getting used to, I mean, I, I was not ready to be that person in public anymore. It was mm-hmm. a real effort even just to, you know, to work, be around my couples. I mean, I spent over a year before I ever felt comfortable telling a couple that everyone knew that I was married. And I think I spent a year working for people where I would literally like put my wedding ring back on when I would take a meeting because oh, wow. I wasn't yeah. ready to talk about it. Well, and also, I mean, there is a certain amount of, I can imagine, um, judgment, you know, like 
there's this weird thing that happens when people find out I'm a dating coach. They're like, well, are you in a relationship? And I am. But if I wasn't, that wouldn't make me any less qualified. Right. And, you, and you were coaching when you weren't. Right. I mean. Totally. And I think that probably made me more qualified because I was out there dating. I knew what everyone was going through. And I wasn't just like, well, the way I see it from my throne is blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, but I could see that too being a little bit nerve wracking of like, I'm a wedding planner. People know I'm married. And now am I going to like look like a failure? That's exactly what was cycling through my head. And it took therapy and time and um, a decent amount of wine to (laughs) (laughs) um, really come to the uh, acceptance and conclusion that divorce is not failure. No, I, I say this all the time, but I think like breakups and divorces are so, so extremely important to dating happiness, but also happiness in general. But I just think we have this wrong idea that if you don't end up marrying someone and staying together forever, it wasn't a successful relationship. And I think, you know, one, we gain something from every relationship we're in, whatever that is. And two, like, it's such a success to be able to get out of a relationship. Like some people don't. I think the only people who are failing are the ones who have been in like 50 year relationships that they're still unhappy. And like, like checked out from. Yeah, that to me is so much more of a failure than being able to say, even though it's scary, even though I really love this person, I'm a wedding planner, whatever it is, like I, my happiness is more important. Well, you know, and it certainly didn't happen overnight. And, yeah. you know, we all have to go through our emotions and our experiences on our own time. But once I was in a good place about it, I think it made me a better wedding planner because I'm able to talk about totally. marriage. And I mean, it's so important to be able to, I mean, I say this often. So if anyone's heard me on another podcast, I probably already said this, but I always tell people, you know, there is a huge difference between planning a wedding and living in a marriage. And the first is what I'm there to guide you to do. The latter is on you. And I can mm-hmm. only speak from my experience in it, which was you have to take it a day at a time and you have to really communicate yeah, and not have um, resolute expectations of what it's going to be because you want room for both of you to be able to individually grow, but also grow as a couple. Yeah. So can you, can you just tell me like the basics of what kind of happened? Cause you got married, you were together uh, for two years, got engaged for a year had a wedding. Did you love your wedding? Yeah, my wedding was... Uh, I'm yeah. sure it was incredible. It was really great. I mean, it was a unique time as a gay person, too, because mm. we... Then This was just coincidental, but we had gotten engaged a little more than a week before. It was when it was still going state by state. And um, it was like a week after we got engaged, it legalized in New York. Oh, wow. And so there was... our The year that we were engaged in planning our wedding was the beginning of what just felt like this momentous movement as gay people. And that was where the inspiration for writing my book came. And so it was bigger than just planning an event that represented the two of us. It was a special moment in time. We were the first legal gay wedding at our venue and things that now, as someone who's done a lot of this, doesn't feel, you know, so (laughs) niche. But um, it was was very, very special. I I, I don't regret any of it because I knew it was a genuine feeling on that night that I, I wanted to marry him and I knew he wanted to marry me and... We felt we wanted to spend our lives together. It took three years to realize that wasn't working anymore. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a lot of great times. It wasn't like fraught from the beginning by mm-hmm. all means. Um, but I think, I mean, there was like a lot of different things that that are why we did not eventually succeed. Um, we really started to want different things out of life, out of each other. 
and, um, and didn't communicate that overly well. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't communicate that before you were married or once you were married and started feeling that way, you didn't really talk about it. A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I never dreamed that I would be having this career that I'm having now. Yeah. I mean, when we first met, I was working at a venue, running events and hoping that plays of mine that I've written were going to continue to be produced. I never thought I was going to have that. I was going to become a published author or write my own book. Um, and, or sorry, I mean, (laughs) become a published author and have my own business Mm. and, um, and find something that really brings me a, 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 not quite equal, but very similar joy to what creating theater does. I mean, and I, I think that was always challenging for him. He was an actor, Mm -hmm. um, and actors who are not working. Um, it's a very different mindset. Yeah. And even though it really had nothing to do with me, because I always said, you have to do whatever's going to make you happy. And and I, I want you to follow your dreams. Um, you know, actors are so, vulnerable to the work that they have available to them yes and it really feels not in your control like you're correct. just always at someone's mercy no matter how good you are yeah and yeah. and and being you know especially someone who was really in theater and being around that world i mean theater is such a i mean i'm sure it's like this in in, in all forms of acting but i mean there's there's so many people trying to do it in New York with so little work and then you can book a show and then it can not open and you can have spent three years being attached to something that isn't right. going. I mean, all those things. And so it's just a very challenging industry to be in. Totally. And it's very different than being a writer in it, which is my experience in it. Right. And um, there was a part in watching me become more of a name and get some press because of writing a book and becoming a wedding planner where there was some, I think, jealousy and resentment. While he was happy that I was having success, of course. I think it made him put a bigger mirror up to his own self. Yeah. And yet we couldn't identify that and talk about it. We mm-hmm. didn't be present that that was going on. Um, and, Did you guys ever do couples therapy? Um well, it's a bit of a sore subject, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, never mind. Well, no, I mean, when we were really not working, that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, he really did and not. he did not. He was kind gotcha. of ready to just be done. But, um, but I mean, we, you know, we're still in touch. I mean, we're not super close friends, but I, I still love him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want him to have his best life possible, and I know he wants that for me. Um, but it's it's very hard to come undone when you've begun to build a life together. Yeah. Living together and coming old families and friends and a dog and you know, I mean all yeah. those things. That was really challenging. Because the world doesn't stop. No. And you 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 realize that a relationship not working feels very small in the you know, in the, the scheme of the problems of the world, but right. it's your it's all you can it's think about when you're going world. in it. Right. But you can't be like, I'm gonna call in sick to everything because I don't want to deal with it right, right now. Especially for something that lasts I mean it it was months that felt that way. Right. And yet the world has to go on and you have to go to work and you have to clean your apartment and walk your dog and how did you cause I know like getting out of relationships is very scary for a lot of people, especially something secure, especially something so tied to this image that you had or this fantasy that you had or this just you know you obviously had planned your future together and that's how you saw your life how did you find kind of the strength and the resolve to say like I have to get out of this or I have to leave I think thankfully that ultimately is my core sense of beliefs I've always been a very 
positive, like things happen for a reason kind of person. Mm -hmm. And once the initial sadness wore off, which really just came from time and letting myself ugly girl cry plenty of times, (laughs) whether it was to friends or alone on my couch, if they Mm -hmm. weren't there, um, knowing that it was going to be okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's so many other things in life that, that, that did bring me joy. I mean, this was all happening while, um, you know, my sister and her wife were building their family, mm. you know, and there were, you know, a niece and nephew that just mean the world to me. I'm mm-hmm. watching, being able to be a part of, 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 of that. Um, I have such a good family. I mean, I'm so lucky cause I know not everyone has that, but everyone was so there for me and mm. so present and supportive and, you know, you begin to feel like, okay, well, I don't want to be a martyr. I mean, it's just, it's just divorce. Like, <laughs> you know, it's very common in this country. I love that. It's I'm fun. calling this episode. It's just divorce. It's just divorce. Great. <laughs> I always say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm the fabulous divorcee of the Upper yes, West Side. Yes, <laughs> you are. You really are. I mean, you have a beautiful apartment. You have a great dog. You're bi-coastal. You have this great business. You're the wedding planner everybody wants. Well, I look at part of, I mean, again, it's easy, like, you know, you have to let time and and you have to let it happen at the pace that it is. But there's so much in my life that I love now that it would not have happened mm-hmm. had I not gotten divorced. Yeah. I don't, not only career, but it's like to, to be able to now live in this life and be really appreciative of certain things that, yeah. um, you know, marriage, like anything else, I think is also challenging, um, when you're socially involved with other people that are married, mm-hmm. you know, your friends get married around the same time and you, mm-hmm. start, and you start to look at other people's lives, you know, and there was, especially in the gay world, there was the camp of people that were like, we're not having kids or we are having kids and we're going to get this apartment and this second car and this house. And, you know, and it just like, it becomes a little like, well, what are, you know, a, it's just so good to be able to, to have taken a breath from all that and gotten some space from it. Yeah. And been like, well, what do I really want? Right. And how do I prioritize me and not just me lining up with everybody else. Correct. Um, so now you're happily alone. Well, not alone. I shouldn't say, well, you're, we're all alone at the end of the day, but you're happily single. I'm happily single. I mean, part of also what I learned through that was that if I was ever, cause there was an, an initial reaction right away to the breakup. I was like, Oh, I have to be with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to get older and, you know, whatever. Um, and this was how many years ago that you got four, divorced? Four years ago. Three or four. Mm-hmm. I've lost track a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it, 2020 right now? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> four years. Um, I realize that it is so important that we, as people, have to be good on our own to be good in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You have to be happy, positive, whatever it is. Um and bring that to the person rather than be dependent on that person to make you to make you happy. Yeah. And that's really what I learned through this. And I think it's still that being said, I think it's still okay. If you're like, I am happy on my own. This is the area of my life where I wish I had something else. That's fine. But it can't be, yeah, I'm miserable with my life and someone else. No. And I don't say this in like some Pollyanna way that I like eagerly like jump out of bed every morning, like conquer the world. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a general sense of like, I'm okay. And life is good. And we also, as people that live the way that we do, have, I mean, when you see images of, of, 
you know, I mean, for me as a gay person, I mean, I, it's never lost that there's like, you can be born into cultures and countries where it's illegal to be who you are. Mm -hmm. And I live such an out proud life that I have a gay sister. I mean, I have so many gay friends. I mm -hmm. mean, it's that it's so important that we don't lose sight of, of that, the, the good fortune that we've been born into. Um, I spend my, my, my time in New York and Los Angeles, two amazing cities with dynamic, creative people everywhere you look. Yeah. Um, so it, it's like sometimes being reeled in to be appreciative of what we have. Mm -hmm. um, but it then was very strange to start going on dates again. Yeah. Because it felt like, oh my God, do I want to explain everything that that seven years was to somebody? Do I need to? <laughs> what did you do about that? Because I, I, people ask me that too, like how much do I need to say about kind of the baggage that I'm bringing? And I'm like, mm, not much in the beginning. Like they don't need to know that as your relationship develops, if there are things you feel coming up that are remnants of your old relationship or warning signs that you're like, uh oh, I'm going into this pattern again. That's when you might want to address it and say, this is my history. This is what you need to know. But you don't, you probably shouldn't start going on dates while it's still the first thing that wants to come out of your mouth. Well, I believe what you just said is correct, but mm -hmm. it took me trial and error to get there. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so at first you were like, so I'm fresh out of a divorce. Yes. Let me tell you about it. Which also healthy. Also, like if that's what you use dates for when you're first getting out of something, go for it. Like if you need to go have a sounding board that is held captive your audience, great, do it. And, and again, I mean, so much has changed in a matter of, of like a handful of years, but not only was I within the first year that you could get married in New York, that I felt like I was relatively early on in the gay divorce train. Uh -huh. And um, there's so many gay divorcees already. Mm -hmm. And it's been comforting to get to know other people. And we all sort of, I mean, everyone obviously has a different reason as to why. And some people have gotten out of, you know, very dangerous situations or toxic situations, mm -hmm. or there's been death or you know but mm -hmm. I, I mean in the scheme of things <laughs> my role is that out we, pretty good yeah we just realized we weren't you know working anymore um but again i mean divorce should not be failure or be something to be ashamed of mm -hmm. and so really owning that has felt really great yeah yeah so now back to dating back we to keep, now yeah, um so you did when you first got out of the relationship you were like panic mode gotta find someone to fill this hole like let me go 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 and go on dates then i assume you were like enough I need to figure out how to be okay on my own a little bit did you have some incidents that inspired that or were you just like I yes and I also realized that there was a part of me that was really craving a lot of just validation of mm -hmm. wanting people like even if I didn't really want to like date them long term but shouldn't they want to date me right. I, I bring all these things to the right. table you know? I'm amazing yeah yeah and, um, and that's like the worst energy to put off when you're like trying to initially connect with somebody. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it made me realize that I was seeking validation in a place that wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what led me to be like, it's okay if I go for maybe the longest I have in my entire life without like being physical with somebody, mm -hmm. um, which was very different than my behavior in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, some of this is like specifically gay. Um, but I find that sadly part of our, you know, community of people that say they're single or, or looking to date or whatever really aren't. Um, and they are not looking to truly connect or have real conversation. And 
not that I'm the only one, but I, I definitely think that's where I, I differ, at least to a lot of the people that I've found myself trying to have conversation mm-hmm. with. Um, but it's made me really value the, you know, the friendships that I have and then the people that I have dated, it's been really nice. And, yeah. um, to, to, to have guys that we're not just like talking about our physical stats or the money that's in the bank or the things that sometimes people are looking for up front to just have real conversation. Yeah. And I mean, my whole thing now is after having been married and divorced, I just don't really have an end game. You know, I just, if, if in this moment we're enjoying ourselves and we decide we want to see each other again, great. Let's not put a, a goal on it because I don't feel, I mean, if I settle down and get married again, I will do it because it feels right, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have to. So my dating advice for everyone right now would be go get yourself married and divorced so that then you can be in this wonderful headspace that Jason is in. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Which is like high enthusiasm, low expectations. Like, let's go hang out. Stakes are low. If we enjoy seeing each other, we'll do it again. But I do think, you know, obviously there's so much societal pressure and pressure people's families put on them where people are just in some ways not capable of going on a date without immediately looking at the person in front of them and seeing the big picture flash in front of their eyes and saying, is this my husband? Is this my wife? Is this my long-term person? Are we going to get married? Should I start picking out my dress? Like that whole thing has just taken people over as the only sign that you are successful at relationships. You can be perfectly successful at relationships and dating just by going on a date with a different person every week. Like I don't care. It's about being present for it and enjoying yourself and really getting to know a person and not about like hitting the milestones. Yeah. And sometimes again, when you have no end game or expectation, mm-hmm. it's like a, there was a moment where I was like, I think there was one week where I went on a date with, you know, like someone almost every night and they were really exhausting experiences. And I kept thinking, well, why am I spending all this time putting myself out there? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't actually, I really just like want to want this to be over and to like get back to my life where I can like, do my work and see my friends and, you know, whatever. Um, so it, it just depends on where you're at. Yeah. I, you know, like sometimes for me it's fun to go on dates and sometimes I just want to break from it all. But it sounds like you're really good at listening to yourself and not like making excuses where some people be like, I'm just going to focus on me and then like not go on a date for an entire year and then be like, why am I single? But it sounds like you're good at being in tune with yourself and knowing when you need to like stay home and recharge and see friends and family and Barnaby and when you need to shake yourself up and go out and get some physical contact. Yeah. I mean, we're also recording this right after the holidays and New Year, which was for me a very restorative yes, break. Yes, yes, of course. And, and, and a bit of time of reflection. Do you think you ever use your busyness of your career as maybe a way of not uh, going on dates? I mean, it sounds like you're not really in a place of like, I need a relationship and I don't know why I don't have one. But do you think you're ever like, not hiding behind it, but a little bit using it as just like, oh, just too busy? A hundred percent. It's even sometimes just my social life with my friends because I I have a life in two cities. And... Like, which sounds like really fabulous, and a lot of times it is. Yeah. Like, I get the best of both worlds. I can, like, see a Broadway show one night, and then the next day be, like, hiking in Runyon Canyon with friends. Um, But it's also a way to sometimes just be, I'm sorry, I'm out of town. Like, I'm not available for that. Right, right. (laughs) And it's also, I think, maybe a little bit, and I could be wrong, but how you're never going to feel lonely as long as you're always, like, busy, and your calendar and your travel is packed, and you never have to have, like, kind of a quiet moment with yourself 
Correct. Um, Which, so there, you know, some of it, especially initially, might have been a bit of a wanting to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also, even before all this, I've always been someone who likes to be very busy all the yes. time. I'm not like really like a sit at home, do nothing kind no, of person. No, 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 no. It's so much better. But, um, but I could see, I could see just maybe from time to time if you're like, hmm, I've been keeping myself awfully busy. Is there any part of my life that maybe could use a little more attention? Yeah, and there definitely have been a few guys that have sort of said to me, like, you're really great, but you travel all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not really here all the time. Yeah. And in those moments, I've had to really dig and be like, is this someone that I would change that for? Ah, that's good. And um, usually the answer has been no, or mm-hmm. I think I would change it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're really clicking with someone, I think they'll come on the ride with Yeah. Them. Who doesn't want to be bi-coastal with Jason? <laughs> I do. Well, have, Barnaby's taken that slot. Yeah, sorry. He comes everywhere. Um, have you ever, like, met anyone? This is, like, a dream of mine. But have you ever met anyone at one of the weddings you've been planning? Or are you always, like, 100% professional on the job? Met them for what purpose? Um, any purpose? <laughs> Good times? <laughs> Anything? I'm hoping this will happen at my wedding is what I'm saying. Oh, good. I'm I'm running through my head of the single men who are coming. I I, I might have to pick a few more. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's... I've definitely been given phone numbers. I've been asked to hang out with people again after interacting with them at a wedding. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, I'm proud of that because I feel like they're seeing me at at what I do best. Yeah, totally. It's like if they saw you performing in a show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 in, and in the scope of being a wedding planner, I, I, I'm someone who like loves the actual wedding day. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's like the opening of the show. Yeah, that you totally. Worked. Opening so, and closing, same day. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, when a guest is just seeing me like in, in the part of it all that I love the most, there's something nice if they're drawn to me for that reason. But I also don't want to always just like talk career with people. Sure, of course. And I, you know, even though I, I'm, I'm, I've got a real sense of humor about what I do, I am a total professional mm-hmm. on site at weddings. Um, so it's usually these conversations begin more after parties and things right. like that. Love it. But it's always a, you know, it's a funny thing because I'm someone who like in my personal and social life likes to be, you know, I love, I'm, I'm a bit boozy, <laughs> um, but I never drink at weddings because I'm oh. working. Oh. Um, it, or or if I do, I wait to the... I mean, it's like at the last yeah, hour Yeah, at the or last hour. That makes and sense. And if I've thrown a good party, most people have <laughs> consumed six hours up in open bar or something. So by right. the time you're talking to them an hour seven or eight, an yeah. after party, by yeah. the time breakdown is finished and I join, um, we're not quite on the same page. Right. <laughs> You've got a little bit of an upper hand at that point. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, to see if it would continue beyond that sometimes is the, the real question. But so has that ever happened? Uh, yeah, I've definitely gone on dates with people that I've met at weddings. I love this. Because um, you also always wear the most amazing suits. Well, thank you. Thank Can't you. Can't wait to see the one that shows up. I know what I'm going to wear. You do? You no, don't know. No, I don't <gasps> know. Because I, I wear something different to all of them. I'm so excited. I mean, not always, a, you know, it's not always a brand new everything, but that's, you know, these. But a, but a customized look. Yes. I mean, at this point, that. my closet of suits and tuxes is I mean, out of control. Wow jealous okay squares ties what last question i'll ask you because we have to end but i do want to say that i've had such a wonderful time talking to you like because of what i do and everything i really want my wedding to be a place where love matches happen i feel like it's it will just bring me so much joy okay if i match at your wedding you get a discount yay i will make it happen (laughs) um what do you think like i guess this is a combined question of one 
what can I do to help that happen, help facilitate that? And two, what can people do who are attending a wedding if they're single to help themselves out with that? Well, let me let me start with the second question. Okay. I think, you know, there's an old stigma that it's awful to go to a wedding alone, mm-hmm. which should no longer be true. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly for the reason that I think... And again, I mean, you know, you in many ways are like the type of clientele that I work for. I mean, it, you're, you know, you're not like right out of school getting married with your dad, right. you know, paying for your, no. to wed your college sweetheart kind of thing. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't have those kind of clients. Not even close. Yeah. I would imagine there will be lots of single people and couples. I mean, yeah. it's a combination mm-hmm. because that's reflective of the kind of lives that we have. Um, so I, I think it's important that as a, as a person throwing the wedding, you never want to alienate the single people. Right. You want to make sure it's a good party, whether you're coupled off or not. Um, and again, I, I don't think single people should go dreading that they're going to feel awful. That they're Do you alone. think they should, um, if offered a plus one, should bring one? Or should they be like, no, I'm going to go alone so that I have to talk to people and meet people? I see that way more from the point of view of the host. Yes, I think, we don't want you to bring a plus one. Well, I think it's strange to bring strangers. Mm-mm, that's you know? true. I mean, unless the only, again, it's always a case-to-case basis. I mean, I think if you're inviting a friend that doesn't know, literally anybody. doesn't know yeah, anybody yeah, yeah. And, will not, yeah. and isn't overly extroverted and, mm-hmm. you know, isn't the kind of person that's going to flourish in that environment, then it's up to you to say, well, let me let them bring a, a plus one. But, um... You know, I'm someone who feels 100% confident showing up alone. I mean, I go to movies alone if I just feel like seeing... I mean, it doesn't ever bother me. So I am more in the camp that if you are single, like, let it be an opportunity to make new friends or whatever. Um, and I, again, go, I mean, I, I think a successful wedding is really about the sense of friends and family coming together to celebrate a couple. And when you have someone who's sitting there who you've... As the couple getting married that you've never met just because they're a friend's date, it's a yeah. little jarring. Yeah, yeah. But what, how, what can I, how can I make this happen? Well, that is in creating a party that feels relaxed, mm-hmm. um, that is fun, where you're not asking people to sit down for a three-hour meal, potentially mm. with people that they don't know, mm-hmm. and sit through a litany of toast and formalities that aren't reflective of the couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, I mean, I know firsthand from working with you are things that you're not doing. So right. <laughs> I think you're set up for success. Great. But I, w- I would say that to any couple. Should we do a big game of spin the bottle? We can do spin the what bottle. We can have condoms in the bathroom. <laughs> yes, I want that. I'm all about the Brandon condom. Party favors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do that at my single show, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just really, I think it's such an opportunity. And I know some people are so afraid to go on their own and to, and they'll beg for a plus one or something like that. And it's like, this is your chance. If there aren't other single guests there, maybe some of the servers are single. Totally. This is a great time for a random makeout. Everyone will be drinking and having fun. I'm so excited for your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) We can only hire really attractive single servers. Exactly. Um, I want this to happen for you. I want this to happen for everyone. Any other words of wisdom around that? Well, no, I will just chime in that I, you know, as someone who, um, I take a lot of pride 
as as a as a event planner mm-hmm. when I see those moments happening. Oh, you know when I see couples yes. that I know they've just met that night begin to make out on yes. the dance floor or go to the bathroom together. Yes. You know, I'm like yes. I mean because we've created an environment <laughs> yeah. where that, that feels fostered and welcomed. Yeah, and like, it makes it's a sign feel, of a good party. It's a great party. It means people had a good time. They'll remember it no matter what. They'll remember that. They might not remember the food, but they will remember that. But you're you know you're a lovely and unique um, perspective of someone getting married because sometimes the couple feels like oh well that you know it needs to be all about me and oh I, you know. no i mean it does need to be all about my dress but other than that i want people to go make out right that'll make me so happy if i think that i brought anyone together for the night for the week for the month whatever that will just make my life the ultimate matchmaker i'll be so happy <laughs> so i'm putting it on you jason okay you're my first priority Also, if anyone hears this podcast and is like, he sounds wonderful, I'm saying right now that I'll set you up on a date with Jason. I'm just putting him out there. He doesn't have a choice about it. What's your Instagram? Mr. Jason Mitchell. Mr. Jason Mitchell. Is it private? No. Okay, great. Mr. Jason Mitchell. First of all, you can follow his fabulous life as a wedding planner, which is 100% real in addition to being a human who comes home to his dog, Barnaby. Um, He has amazing parties. He's always posting fabulous pictures. There was a cheese spread the other day that just... Matt like ran over to me and showed it to me and we just like (laughs) gawked at it for a while. It was so beautiful. Um, So if you want to see things like that, follow Jason. Also, if you want to be set up with him, you can DM him. You can DM us. We'll set you up. He's lovely. If you have a friend that you're like, this person would be so great with that guy, Jason. Jason will make time for it. I won't allow him to not make time for it. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm putting out there. Do you have any other things you want to say dating related questions problems we have to both go we have social plans we have to go i can't, I can't do this but i wanted to <laughs> but i really wanted to no i feel like i've gotten everything off my chest in the best i feel way. great and Me i too. feel like you don't normally i'd be like let's dissect your dating life but i feel like you're in such a good place i'm always here if you want to dissect it well listen there is not that much to dissect at the moment i mean i will say there's a couple boys on on both coasts well, great you know, that um I've, I've seen more than once i love it um but you know nothing that feels like these things can't happen around each other and right. that there isn't room for more great i love it and you're so grounded as we started off the podcast by saying in the substance part of things that i just feel like you're gonna make good decisions whether that's six boys or one, we don't care. At the same time? Yeah, why not? You can handle it. You plan weddings. You'll be fine with six boys. Okay, we have to go. Mr. Jason Mitchell on Instagram. You are so wonderful. His book is Getting Groomed, if you're interested in that. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yay. Just the tip, a dating tip. I am going to say communication seems very obvious, but still needs to be said. Obviously, I still need to communicate about it. Basically, wherever you are in your relationship, whether it's the year of planning your wedding, you're already married, you've been dating for a while, you just started dating, it's all about being upfront from the beginning about what you need, what you want, where you see things going in the future. This doesn't mean talk about kids on the first date, but generally speaking, Don't jump to the benchmarks of a relationship because you want to get there without addressing all those little things that need to come first, like the way two people communicate, the way two people talk about finances, you know, that stuff, it it doesn't need to be saved for dating for a year. It can be 
at the three-month mark, before the three-month mark. The important thing is that you're communicating and being honest about who you are. You don't want to pretend to be someone else for the sake of getting someone to date you and commit to you and then come out with all the things you really want and need. Like, oh, I don't really know if I need to have kids when you know you need to have kids. And then a year in, you're like, no, but I need to, don't you? And they're like, no, no, this isn't what we talked about. And then, you know, that was a year of two people not being themselves. So, I think Jason, as we heard, sees a lot of communication issues come up with people planning a wedding. And I think we should all just think of it at any moment we have the opportunity to communicate and be honest about what we want and need. And if it turns out the person we're with can't give it to us, we'd rather find out sooner than later. So, you know, spend the first dates, light conversation, enjoy getting to know each other. And then once you feel it's going somewhere, start to really open up about what you need, what you see in your future how you feel about major topics, and be honest about it. Don't pretend to be someone else. Communicate about who you really are, and then the person you're with can decide if they want to be with you rather than them deciding they want to be with who they think you are and then everybody being disappointed later. So communicate, communicate, be honest, don't be afraid. It will help you get that much closer to the person who's right for you the sooner you can be honest. Send us your questions, Not Your Therapist Podcast on Instagram and Not Your Therapist Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for the amazing Jason Mitchell, my wedding planner, for joining us today, author of the amazing book, Getting Groomed. You can see him everywhere, winning awards. You can find him on Instagram, Mr. Jason Mitchell. He is single and dating and having a great time. So if that's your thing, check him out, Mr. Jason Mitchell. Thank you to Melissa Gruen, my social media producer, Josiah Thorngate, my editor, Christine Bartolucci, all of you for listening, rating, reviewing, sharing this podcast and making dating fun. 